welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. So welcome to this week's episode. I'm here with Hitesh Juneja, CEO and CSO at Solar Oil Project. Hitesh, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing quite well. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's funny because I'm actually excited that it's still sunshining here in Houston. Over the last week, if you look at the forecast, it was supposed to have rained every day since like last Friday and every day has been beautiful. So <laughs> it's like anything, if someone could somehow predict the weather accurately, I think they'd be in good shape. But here in Houston, you never know what we're going to get. So I saw on LinkedIn, you're up in Cyprus. Is that right? Our company is up in Cyprus. I'm actually in Dallas myself. Ah, Okay. I think we got all that rain on your behalf up here in Dallas instead. Okay. Yeah, it's been pretty crazy lately. I, I don't remember. I mean, I've lived in Houston now since about 2011. And I don't remember spring being, I mean, it's obviously a lot of rain here in Texas during spring and hurricane season. But I tell you what, the the rain, the thunder and the lightning that we've had this last probably six weeks has been unreal. I've never seen anything like it, but fortunately, we, you know, knock on wood, we haven't had any leaks in our house, but it's a true testament to our ability to keep rain out of the house, thankfully. How's things been up there? Has it been the same thing? Quite a bit of storms and, and yeah, thunder and lightning? Been, absolutely. It's been very similar. It's a little out of the ordinary, extremely high amounts of rain and thunderstorms and so on. Yeah. But, you know, knock on wood, we are, we're doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. Well, as long as we don't have any floods, I'll, I'll be happy. It was interesting. I was actually, I don't know if you're familiar with Houston, but my wife and I were in the Heights yesterday looking at just different properties as she's kind of diving into the real estate investing world. But it's it's wild because a lot of the houses that had gotten flooded during Harvey now in, in those areas, it's mandatory to build them elevated. And so there's a lot of really neat houses. It almost looks like houses in Galveston or along the Gulf Coast where they're all elevated like 13, 15 feet high. A lot of houses in Houston now are starting to build elevated like that. So, and you know, it was interesting because they have, there was almost, it was like flood or like waterways on the first level. So there was gates. So if water was to get into the house and it could still flow easily through the gates. So, you know, it's nice to see that we're preparing for what could happen again. I don't know if Dallas gets flooding. I don't think that you guys did like we had, but nonetheless, you know, hopefully we, we don't experience what we did a few years back when Harvey hit, but, you know, it kind of ties into what we're talking a little bit. You know, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, why we're experiencing such dramatic temperatures and, you know, just the weather in itself is intense. The hurricanes are supposedly getting more intense and more frequent. So again, I think that kind of, you know, slowly ties into what you guys do. But before we get going, you know, I do want to ask, 
How are you, Hitesh, innovating this year, whether it's with business, marketing, technology, or even personal branding? What does innovation look like for you right now? So I'm really glad you brought that up because the fundamental project, solar oil project in this and beyond oil that we're working on is specifically around bringing innovation to the low volume strip of well production and so on. So we're actually innovating in two very unique ways. One is through tokenization of oil and gas assets, which is taking commodity production, turning into a tokenized market that anybody can access. It's something that has not been done yet. We're actually the first ones to to do so. We've actually created the first true tokenized commodity exchange, which allows people to participate in the oil and gas markets and hedge against them even with blockchain-based assets and including other commodities like gold and silver. But more importantly, I would say we are innovating at the ground level, at the field level, for a lot of the stripper well production with new technology in terms of pumping, whether it's the patented pneumatic pumps instead of the traditional pump jacks, or by helping them streamline a lot of the other processes involved on the oil production side to get them going into being able to do what we call recycling oil assets. So there's actually a few different things that we are, we are into that we are doing this year alone. Wow. Well, I definitely want to dive into some of those. But before we get into that, I do want to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, which is Technip FMC. They certainly deserve a little airtime. And I want to tell everyone about some of the their new integrated iComplete ecosystem, which is digitally enabled and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the well-pad operations. Technip FMC is continuing to push the limits in order to achieve full frack automation. To discover more about all the benefits of iComplete, click the link in the show notes or check them out on LinkedIn. Itesh, so again, before we get into the technology piece, I, w- I want the audience and the listeners to get an idea of you know, who this is behind, I would say the microphone, but more behind the Zoom here. Where are you originally from, Itesh? So I was born in India, if you couldn't guess by the name and the slight accent, hopefully. Well, nowadays, I don't want to assume. I always like to ask. <laughs> Things have changed quite a bit in the last 10 years or so. So uh, I actually came to the U.S. under a biotechnology and genetics program in college. And okay. that's actually my initial interest in the energy market is the, some of the things that we were working on. Microbial fuel cells was one of the key points of interest. Bioreactors was another point of interest. So I've always been interested in the energy space. I actually worked on some of these projects back in high school. That was one of the reasons why I was accepted into programs in the US and scholarships and so on. Okay. So that was kind of my point of interest already. And since moving here, I then actually kind of branched into technology development. We launched an e-commerce company in 2013 ended up doing quite well with that. We were basically the software and technology provider behind it. And, you know, our users did quite well. We had about 200,000 plus users with about four and a half billion dollars in total GMB. So we did quite well with that and kind of routed some of that capital, some of that passion towards the things that we're actually really interested in, which is things in the medical space and things in the energy sector. Because we think these are the two sectors that fundamentally affect how well we do as a society moving yes. forward. Yeah. And so that's always been a point of you know, great interest. So 
we started looking into what are technologies out there that are currently available that can help us make a real difference, a very measurable difference, and that is underadopted. So that's how the solar oil project kind of came about, was the concept of what can we do in the energy markets to make it more efficient, to make it better, and to help us move towards a society beyond oil, but doing it in the right way. One of our major concerns with a lot of the quote-unquote green initiatives is that they demand people should sacrifice profitability in the name of green energy. They say things like you have to sacrifice comfort, convenience, all this stuff. We feel like it's very idealistic at times, and they don't understand the economic impact of forcing people to do so. And in some ways, it's kind of naive, right? And again, growing up in India, I have seen firsthand the effects of naive pushes for you know, improvements, supposed improvements on society, but they end up causing harm. So that's a really, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I think we need to stay on that point for, for a little bit here. Someone, you know, like yourself, you said, you know, obviously you came, you know, you were born and, and raised in India and you've wist, witnessed some of this stuff firsthand. And, and it's interesting you say that because there are certain initiatives that, I mean, there's a trade-off to everything. And like we've, we've seen in the headlines is, you know, the intent is good, you know, save the planet, make sure that, you know, the temperatures don't rise. Let's follow, you know, the Paris Accord to ensure that, you know, generations to come live in a healthy and, and safe environment throughout the world. But you have company or you have story, you know, non-OECD regions of the world, India, China, that their energy demand is only going to increase tenfold, if not more, over the course of the next decade. And in India specifically, what's their take or what's your take on, I mean, is it more important for you guys to access reliable and affordable energy and not worry necessarily about that? Or what is the general consensus in India right now with regards to providing affordable and reliable energy to that area of the world? So not just even that area of the world. It's, it's so important people realize that even in developed nations, you have a very significant portion of the population that if you don't have reliable, consistent, inexpensive access to energy, you're going to see wide-scale deaths. You're going to see wide-scale harm of the kind that a lot of people don't realize, right? Because we grow up in somewhat insulated environments today. We don't realize that if you eliminate access to cheap electricity, for example, you'll have people freezing to death. And in fact, we saw a small version of that here in Texas mm-hmm. back in February when we had the winter storm and people lost power and we actually had people dying. We had significant damage to infrastructure. So people don't realize how much excess cost you incurred both in human life as well as in infrastructure if you don't have access to consistent power, access to cheap electricity, cheap energy in general, but also in a way that's sustainable, in a way that you can over time say, here is our plan, here is how we can map our way out for the next 20 years, next 30 years, how we're going to transition over to that. So it's it's very naive to just say, hey, everybody's going to live on solar and everybody's going to live on wind. It doesn't work quite that simply. We will get there, but we are not there yet. And that's really what our company is all about. That's really what we are all about. Beyond Oil is an overall initiative to move us in that direction in a way that makes sense instead of just forcing it on people. 
Interesting. No, I think that's such a fantastic approach. It's important for folks like yourself and other, you know, innovators throughout the space, the energy space, you know, to understand that, you know, obviously, you know, the green initiatives and the net zero initiatives, they're here to stay. And I mean, it's being pushed by environmentalists, it's being pushed by the investment community. And I was actually talking to a gentleman this morning, just an acquaintance who works at ConocoPhillips, and he works on their finance side, and he just got transitioned over into their, you know, their green initiative, like sustainability department, if you will. And, you know, he's really trying to figure out the balance between, okay, well, the investment community, yeah, they want great returns. Obviously, that's why companies exist to create value for shareholders. But then on the other hand, they also want, you know, to have a well-balanced portfolio for environmental initiatives and sustainable development and, you know, really emphasizing the whole ESG part of our business. And so he's struck in the middle. It's like, well, you want one thing, but you also want another. And so how do we strike a balance? And I think it's companies like yourselves that are pushing the envelope and understanding it. It's not necessarily, you know, oil or renewables. It's, I mean, I think we need a combination of it all. Just like I said earlier, the energy demand globally is going to increase. And so how can we do it effectively and, you know, leveraging technology to increase energy efficiency and maximizing the value of, of wells like you're working on? And so I'd like to dive a little bit further into it. So, you know, the Beyond Oil project and more specifically solar oil, it's such a very interesting concept. How did you, I guess, how did you narrow that down? Because it's pretty niche and then you may be a little more diversified, but from what I've seen, you essentially take low producing assets and you apply solar technology to power those wells, essentially. Is that right? Can you elaborate a little bit? Yes, absolutely. So yes, solar is a part of it, although it is just a part of it. So let me walk through the entire process. Okay. So the first thing we identified was that there's massive number of low volume oil wells that currently can become a very significant economic as well as ecological hazards, right? Because these are low volume oil wells. They tend to get abandoned. They tend to be orphaned. They leak chemicals into the soil, into the water table. It's a very significant problem. And we actually noticed the numbers on it where just Texas alone had a basically news report was it's about $120 billion that Texas taxpayers would be expected to spend just on cleaning up some of these wells. And if you look at the numbers from different states in the southern U.S., you look at the numbers in Canada, for example, we're talking about roughly $500 billion that would be spent on cleaning up these wells and plugging them and so on. In fact, even in the presidential debates, one of the points that was brought up was about, you know, are we going to plug these oil wells? What are we going to do there, right? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. And what we identified was, why are these abandoned? What, What makes it so that these get abandoned, right? And the answer is purely economic. It's simply the fact that they become untenable for the operator to work with. So our concept was very straightforward. What if we can take existing oil wells, instead of going and drilling for new new wells, what if we can take existing wells, simply go and make them economically viable again? Could we apply technology and innovations that many operators might be unaware of to lower their cost of production so that we can work with these low volume oil wells again and make them viable. So that was a very straightforward economic question. Could we do so? And that's what you have seen happen in every industry, right? In every industry, 
as you innovate and make it more viable, costs come down, prices come down. And from our perspective, that also solves a major ecological issue. If right. you can make these oil wells functional again, then you don't have the issue of them getting abandoned. And the next question was, how do we actually make it work? How do we make it happen in a very practical sense? So we actually tested, we worked with a few different technology providers. And now essentially what we have done is brought together a series of technologies together, which allow us to go to operators who have these oil wells, which there are many, many of, as you know, being in Texas, there's hundreds of thousands of these wells out there. Yeah. And we go to them with two core technology pieces. The first is a patented pneumatic pumping process, which allows us to replace their pump jack with a very sleek, modern oil pump, which is pneumatic. It allows them to have a pump that has no moving parts above the ground. So their maintenance cost goes down dramatically. We are able to make it run in many kinds of environments. You don't have to worry about the damage. You don't have to worry about you know, the belt wearing away or the motor going out, things like that. And then also, we are able to make their the production much more reliable and much more predictable. So we will, it, we will include remote monitoring, for example, so we can keep an eye on what's going on. And then finally, because these are just pneumatic pumps, they're all running off of an air compressor. If we can get enough solar panels in place to power the air compressors using solar energy, you can operate them very, very efficiently. And the net result of that is that we can see reduction in production cost or lifting cost by as much as 40 to 60% in some cases, which is massive, right? Now you can have an operator who has 400 wells out of a thousand on his fields that are not even functional. And now you can make many of them functional and you can make many of them profitable. Now, what that does is you're getting all production out, but with significantly lower carbon footprint, significantly lower cost, your operating cost goes down and your risk of ab abandonment goes down. So you are addressing all of these challenges at the same time. And that's a very good example of a very simple solution, which is now in turn preventing much bigger issues down the road. So we like to say we can spend, we can spend billions trying to clean them up or we can spend, spend millions making them functional again. It's a very obvious choice what we should be doing. So that's really the concept behind what we did. Now, the question came, how do we actually move the finance? How do we move the capital towards these operators? How do we make the whole process work? And that's where the tokenization aspect of our production comes in. So first step is identifying these oil well assets with the operators and so on, which we have done. We have tremendous number of assets available. As you can imagine, when we go to a, an operator and say, hey, we see you have all these oil wells, we would like to modernize it and we would like to put new equipment on it, make them functional again. They're pretty excited about it. But then the next question is, okay, what's it going to cost me? And our point is, what if it doesn't cost you anything? What if we bring the capital to get this done, but in turn, we will take a portion of the production of oil from this well? It's a win-win scenario. It's a very simple JV kind of agreement, joint production agreement. And again, that's, that's been very, we've been very successful with that. We have had lots of operators willing to work and it just makes sense, right? It's, it's a very common sense approach to how we solve the problem. So if you guys, and I know you said the maintenance cost is low, but if you do partner with an operator who's decided to pursue this, 
and you do have to work over the well, or you do have to do some sort of, you know, some sort of work on it. I mean, do you then split that as well? Or, or how do you yeah. manage that part of it? We basically look at each scenario is essentially looked at from a feasibility perspective. So we will look at that and say, here's the total cost it's going to take. Maybe we will, we will have to bring in, you know, some grid repair, and then we will have to put in the compressor. Plus we will have to work on 12 wells who are sitting on this lease. We look at all of those things combined and we essentially come up with, and we have a very, very good team that helps us do this, right? We have the inventor of the patent in pub who is a part of our team. We have multiple operators who have had their own fields for decades now in the oil and gas space. So we have a very good team that goes through all of this, analyzes the location and decides what's the best approach. And again, each scenario is a little different, but overall what we found is that it's a, it's a win-win scenario almost every single time. As long as it's a shallow well, less than 2000 feet, our, the pneumatic pumping just makes a lot of sense. So we're able to work with that very easily. So does a lot of the stuff that you have deployed, are the pneumatic pumps powered by solar power? Yeah, so it's a mix, right? In some cases, it's entirely just solar power. In other cases, solar power is contributing to the electricity that's going for the air compressor. But it really depends on the location as well. There are some locations like in the panhandle, it's fantastic for solar energy. And we have other locations where you have wells that are kind of in the middle of nowhere. You don't even have paved roads out there yet. That, those are the wells that are at the highest risk of abandonment as well. So that's where we have to see, is it better to simply put an electric connection in and just have some panels on a side or are solar panels not even necessary in this case? Because even if we just modernize and put this equipment in, we are still going to see a dramatic reduction in the cost. We're going to see a dramatic improvement in production. So that's, again, something that we look at on a case-by-case basis. But yeah, right now it's already a mix. We have very interesting. Yeah, pumps running entirely off of solar. So the obvious question is, and I'm sure you get this asked all the time, is, you know, the sun's not always shining. So what do you do to, you know, obviously if you have, you know, your continued demand load when the sun's not shining, do you have sort of some battery technology or some yes. storage yeah. technology on location or how does that work? It's relatively low tech solution. And as we are finding out, sometimes those work really well. We use basically air batteries. So you have air that is held in a high compressed scenario, which can be accessed if and when needed, when the compressor is not running. And then the air batteries or the tank batteries can be refilled once we have enough electricity again. Now, most of the time, we haven't actually run into this issue because we always have a grid backup if needed. So we haven't really run into that issue. But if we do, there is a very simple solution around it, which is using these air batteries, if you will. Right? Okay. You just put, put a bunch of air in a tank. You just have to maintain a pressure of about 175 PSI, and you're good to go. So we have been, again, pretty successful with doing that in a lot of theoretical settings. There's no real practical reason for us to need to rely on that. But that's where the second aspect of this also could in, which is, we don't have pumps that are running 24-7 compared to what you usually see where operators are often guessing or they have a fixed cycle they're running pumps on or sometimes they're running 24-7. Yeah. We have fluid sensors that are installed down holes, which, which determine when there is enough fluid where it makes sense to expend the energy to lift the fluid out of the ground. So again, you make it a little bit smarter 
to make it so that you're no longer spending electricity or energy unnecessarily. So now you're, again, it helps with the lifting costs coming down. It makes your net production actually go up in some cases. It really works really well with the overall health of how you're going to lift out of the well, how often, when you're going to access that, and how much energy you're going to expend to do so. Because it's all a very simple calculus, right? As long as you're spending less energy to bring the fluid out of the ground, then you are going to gain from the fluid itself. You win. That's really the equation you have to solve. And right. that's what we focus on. That's fascinating. And I'm very interested on the, the token, the rewards aspect of this whole project. So can you dive into a little bit of that? And I quickly went through your website and, you know, obviously cryptocurrency is making its way into energy and, and you know, quite frankly, the entire financial system of the world. I saw some, there was some sort of Q and A or sort of some frequently asked questions, which I want to ask because there may be people that think of them and I want to cover some of them, but can you kind of further describe the rewards program and, and what the, the entire sort of process looks like on that and what the value is beyond just what you were talking about of, of using, you know, renewable energy to on stripper wells, but then what, yep, what yep. can be used beyond? Absolutely. So again, one of the things we like to emphasize is this is about progress, but it's also about profitability. And we want everybody to, to be able to participate in that as much as possible. So on our site, solaroil.io, you can go to the website and you can purchase what are called access tokens. They are utility tokens that are just, their only function is to be used on our site. It's not like a cryptocurrency you go and trade and speculate on or something. You purchase these tokens on the side, it's 10 cents per token. So let's say that you purchase a million tokens and I purchase 2 million tokens, and then we stake them on these oil well portfolios. So when we purchase these tokens, basically this capital is what's used to purchase the equipment, to buy these pumps, to get those installed, to get all this work done in behind the scenes on these oil wells. So that's, that's where the capital comes from and why we have made this a uh, basically a zero risk proposition for a lot of these operators, because we go to them and we say, we are taking an asset that is currently worthless to you and potentially a significant liability down the road. We would like to take this. We will bring the capital to get this to work. We will bring the technology and the expertise to get it to work. And then we will take a portion of that oil, correct? So it's a very simple proposition for them. Now, when we say we take a portion of that oil, what we do is then we generate what's called an SOPX, which is solar oil production token. So we have the access token that you and I both purchased. We staked on our platform. Now there's a production token that is generated every day in proportion to how much oil is being produced in those portfolios. And you and I will receive that production token. So you will receive X number of production tokens. I'll receive twice as many because I had twice as many access tokens, right? So it's a, it's a very straightforward, simple distribution process. That SOPX is what we have created a tokenized market for. So now you can essentially accumulate oil production or equivalent of oil production in your account. And then you can trade that for other commodities like gold, silver, palladium, or you can trade that for currencies like you know, British pound or US dollar, or you can trade that for cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum and so on and move that out to your wallets or move it out to your bank account. So it basically gives the ability for everybody to kind of participate in this very unique market and, and start helping the world. Yes, you're helping the environment, but you're also receiving a proportional profit 
because you are helping do so. So it's a pretty interesting mix. Like I said, we are the first mar- first tokenized market that allows you to trade these commodities against each other as well. Nobody else is really doing that at the moment because nobody else is bringing real production value to it. So what I've seen is when you look at the tokenized space, there are a lot of companies that have come out and said, I have an oil token. Everybody seems to have an oil token. And their token is just, it's something backed by reserves that exist. But that doesn't mean much, right? That, because that's not real value being produced. That's just in the ground, there is oil. So I have a token. And it, again, we have never understood what the value proposition there, there was. In this case, you and I are receiving production tokens or, or oil tokens in proportion to how much we are helping with the oil production based on how many access tokens we, we both purchased. So it, it makes a lot of sense. It's very easy for people to understand once they wrap their mind around it. It's very straightforward for them to understand it. Mm. And each access token basically produces this SOPX or produces the production token for the next 10 years. So you and I know that because of what we've contributed through this platform, we have rewards coming our way for the next 10 years. And what those rewards end up being worth, that depends on the price of oil, that depends on how much production we're able to get, you know, things like that. We have a very good calculator on the site that people can use that to estimate what the rewards would look like. But at the moment, they, it, it's very, very, very rewarding, let's say. It's very rewarding both knowing what you're doing is truly helping the environment, right? It's not just that we, are, we came up with some nice slogans and we have a marketing campaign. No, you're genuinely making a difference. We actually track the net effect of what you have accomplished through the platform in terms of how much energy has been offset, how many hours of jobs have been created, how much carbon has been offset. All of these things are tracked across the entire platform. So we can share with everyone, this is what you are helping accomplish. And then at the same time, because you're now helping with oil production, as that oil is produced, you're receiving a reward in proportion to that as well. So it's a really neat way to help the public participate in something and help them change a very significant behavior, help them solve a very significant problem, and then be rewarded along the way as well. Wow, you're covering so many angles. I mean, I didn't realize with a, you know, the complexity of what you guys are doing and, and how it can involve anybody. I'm, yeah, quite fascinated. So, and again, just so I'm kind of clear, so retail type investors can get in on this as well? Is that what I'm getting at? Like if Correct, someone- because... Because our access token is just a simple utility token, right? It's not a speculative token. It's not buy my token and 10 years from now, it might be worth a lot more, right? It's, it's not a speculative investment of that kind. It's a pure utility token. And we have a, a pretty neat discussion on this from a legal perspective, the SEC's view and all that stuff. That's also on our website on the due diligence page, if you want to take a look at that. Yeah. So yes, it is designed very much for the average person to be able to get involved in something like this where there is an upside for them, there is a reason for them to be involved in this and they can participate in helping improve things. Wow. So let's get very simple here. So let's say someone's listening to this and it's a little over their head. They're kind of like, this is a lot of information, but I'm interested. What do I do to start? I mean, obviously go to the website and then like, what do, do they like sign up or, or can you kind of walk through something that's if someone has not really dove into this type of stuff, how they could Absolutely. Kind of get involved? 
So it's very, very straightforward. You go to the website, solaroil.io, you create your account. There is no cost to the account. There is no monthly subscription, anything like that. You just create an account and you can look at the platform. You can go through all the things in the back office just, just at that point. Once you decide, I would really like to participate on this, you can purchase your access tokens. You can purchase access tokens for as little as $20 right now, 200. I think we will be raising that minimum in the future, but you can purchase just 200 access tokens if you wanted to, which is 20 bucks and get involved, right? And again, the idea is to get the lowest common denominator, get, get the people involved, get them to start taking some action. So getting people involved and getting them to actually make these fundamental changes. Like these are very massive changes that we're talking about. We're talking about potentially avoiding a lot of drilling, avoiding a lot of taxpayer expense. And we're talking about a lot of these things, but it can be done with a very simple incentive for a guy to put 20 bucks in because he thinks, hey, I'm going to get you know oil worth $30, $40 over time from this. It's a very simple thing for them to be incentivized by, but it helps contribute to a very significant change over time. Of course. So if say someone does join and, and they say you want to put in a hundred bucks, then is that, is that kind of like someone in, investing in a stock or how no. does someone get it, a return? It really isn't. Or is it, right. or is it not an investment type vehicle? Like yeah. It's not really an investment in that perspective. So what they do is they, they're buying these tokens for a hundred dollars. So for a hundred dollars, they would get a thousand access tokens. And then they would stake them on oil well portfolios or natural gas portfolios when we launch those that are available on the site. Right now, the one we have available is called Deep South Shallows. So they can just select those. Okay. So not to cut you off, Hitesh, but what do you mean by staking something? Because I think that's still a term that people are not very familiar with. Sure. So staking, in this case, you can just replace that with the word assign, right? You're assigning your access tokens to these portfolios. In the background, what that means is it's essentially saying we're assigning the capital that just came in from those tokens okay. towards this group of oil wells or these group of oil well operators. So we're just assigning capital towards it. Got it. And okay. now when oil is produced from those oil wells or oil is produced by operators who we are helping in that particular portfolio of wells, then it will be distributed to all the people who have assigned their tokens within that. It's a way for us to know who has contributed to this, right? If you contributed a million tokens towards it or a thousand tokens towards it, and I contributed 2000 tokens towards it, this is a way for us to track, okay, so now when 10 barrels of oil is produced, who gets how much of that oil, right? So you will get a certain amount and I'll get a certain amount based on how many tokens we have. It's a very simple way to just track it. So this is not a token in the way that you hear in the cryptocurrency space where people are buying them and people are trading them and people are, it's speculative, right? They're hoping the value will go up over time and then they'll be able to exit. It's not like that at all. The token here simply represents a utility token used to track all production and which user that all production should go to in what proportion. So you're saying a portion of the production, are you talking like a monetary value that person would get? returns or you're just speaking yeah. okay yes yes you would because you would receive the production right so the production is tracked by what we call production tokens so e for every one barrel of oil that is produced one production token is also produced and distributed right so for example 
if let's say you and I are the only two people who are on a portfolio, this is a simple example. And let's say I have twice as many tokens as you do, then on the platform, let's say 10 barrels of oil was produced today, then that would mean 10 SOPX was also produced, right? That's how we track it. And I'll receive 6.7, you will receive 3.3, right? Because I have twice as many tokens as you. Yeah. Now, once I receive the, that 6.7 SOPX, that represents a real value equivalent to the current price of oil, current WTI price times 0.6, because this is a cheaper production, right? It's, it's cheaper to produce this. So it's 60% of the current price of oil. So let's say WTI price of oil was 100 bucks, then that means SOPX is worth 60 bucks on the platform. And I can generally, I can literally convert that over to that value. So if I have 10 SOPX in my account, I would be able to convert that to $600 worth of Bitcoin or $600 worth of Ethereum or $600 worth of USB or $600 worth of gold or a mixture of all those things, right? So I can do that on the platform myself on our commodity exchange. And if I want to withdraw that, I can withdraw that out to my Ethereum wallet and move it to my bank account down the road. So yes, that is a genuine monetary value that it represents. It is a very significant potential source of rewards that will encourage this behavior from people where they get more involved in this. They say, yeah, this is, this is the kind of stuff that I want to put my capital towards. And it's nice that I also get my rewards along the way. And I get a little bit of monetary incentive to do so. Wow, that's fascinating. I was not expecting the conversation to go down this road, but that that's a huge part of it, just beyond the technology and what you're doing for the environment, which is, again, super interesting as well. But tying it into what you're doing on the back end is crazy. I, I think a lot of people are, are going to be raising their eyebrows when they listen to this. The obvious question I have, I mean, how long have you been doing this for? Because I'll be honest, I haven't seen anything on like you say LinkedIn or really any sort of branding or storytelling online. And I think the message needs to be delivered on at scale because I think there's so much potential. What kind of marketing or, or storytelling or branding or awareness creating are you doing right now? Because so, there's, there's potential, obviously. This podcast, this interview is a part of it, right? So we are just starting to do so. So let's talk about the technology in different phases, right? So we have the pumping technology and in the field technology that began being tested about four years ago. So it has existed in prototype stages and so on for a while. We started scaling up. We put a lot of pretty significant amount of capital ourselves personally throughout 2020. It was really 2020 where this became a very strong opportunity because you had such a big collapse in the price of oil you had a lot more operators that suddenly became financially insecure, right? They suddenly could not afford to have their fields running. That's where this became a very real issue for a lot of them, where they had shallow wells, they could not operate them anymore because the price of oil was around $40. And we could see that, yeah, with our pneumatic pumps, they could still be profitable. We could still run those, but you could not run the traditional pumps at that point. So, 2020 kind of really brought this to the fore and made this a very significant opportunity in the minds of the oil and gas guys. So in December is when we built the tokenized platform and we launched that in January. January 4th is 
officially when we came into beta phase, when we started running the platform, checking how everything worked and so on, getting all the right licenses in place and, and the legal and the regulatory side. And a month and a half ago is when we first released our commodity exchange. So this is a very, very recent development. This is not, ah, okay. it's not something that's been around for a long time. Okay. So now we're at a stage where we have very robust systems in place. We have a very good team in place. We have the commodity exchange. We have the financial systems all tied in together. So now we can go out there and start presenting this to the world at large and saying, hey, this is something that you can participate in. It's so much better than just, I mean, it's, it's nice that you want to go and, you know, march around your neighborhood and maybe march around the capital or something because you think that's going to change the world. But here's something that <laughs> genuinely will change the world, right? This is, this is the way that you can save environment. Yeah. And you know what? You don't have to take your private jet over to some convention to talk about how you're changing the world. You can just help us fix a very real problem. Yeah. I love the way you put that. That's so true. And no, I certainly am pleased to help spread the word and create awareness around this. It's fascinating. So what would you say the future looks like at solar oil? If you were to cast a vision in say 10 years from now, what, what does this entire project look like for you? Sure. So with Beyond Oil, we actually very straight up laid out three phases. The first phase is solar oil project itself, which is going out there, getting these oil pumps in, in operators' hands, modernizing on the field production for shallow wells specifically. Because what that lets us do is minimize future drilling and recycle existing oil wells, right? If you can recycle existing assets, you minimize how much more you need to drill for in the future. So that's phase one. Phase two was to build a financial ecosystem where it makes sense, where the average person can participate in it, where you know, large scale, if, if corporations or major investors want to come in, they can invest in it, but also where we can track the financial impact of what we are doing. Because if we can track how much carbon is offset, how many metric tons, how much electricity is being offset by solar, how many jobs are being created, now we can show the genuine financial impact. And we have an economic system where people can trade with each other or trade between commodities using our platform. So now we have just accomplished that as of a month ago. That has been accomplished. Phase three is for us to now start onboarding other types of commodities. So natural gas, helium, hydrogen, and specifically start looking at production mechanisms or energy sources that are slightly non-traditional. Whether that's in microbial fuel cell side, whether it's in hydrogen and helium and nuclear side, we're looking at some of those options. But that's probably five years away where I would feel very comfortable saying, yes, we have matured that enough. And now that's available on our platform as well. So now for the next five years, we will be looking at expanding the total number of oil well portfolios available, expanding into natural gas, expanding into some of the other commodities that go within the oil and gas production side, right? which are the natural ancillaries. We can just expand on very easily. Yeah. And then, then we will go into the truly disruptive stuff, saying how can we produce energy at an even greater, with a greater access at a much lower cost? How can we achieve that? That's what we'll be looking at going into down the road. But it, this has been laid out on our side as part of the three phases that we are working on. And we think this is the kind of approach you need, right? You need the first step to be, how do we work with what we have right now, solve an immediate issue? And then how do we prevent a future issue by heading in that direction? So that's the phased approach we have taken. We have actually come in ahead of schedule. We thought we would take another year and a half before all the 
financial platforms and everything would be built. But we have a very good development team. We have had very good legal and you know background teams to help us with all this. So we have actually been able to accomplish this now instead of a year from now. Wow. No, that's fascinating. What What's led sort of the rapid increase in timing? You said you're obviously ahead of schedule. Is it just, is it a function of the market? Is it your team working overtime? I mean, what has driven that success? I think the stock of coffee, coffee probably. <laughs> <laughs> you need a coffee sponsor, I, yeah. I see. So incidentally, actually, I don't drink any caffeine at all, but a lot of the members of our team have been putting in crazy hours. But it's been interesting because it's been driven by just the passion and the interest in the market, right? So when we launched the, the beta version of this back in December, January, we were thinking, okay, we're going to beta test. We'll get probably, you know, 100, 200 people in the oil and gas space that are kind of interested in this. Instead, we got about 3,000 people, most of them from the retail markets, most of them just interested because they like the idea behind what we are doing. So I think it was one of those things where we just went, we got to get this thing done. We got to get this done now because there's just such a big demand for it. And also it, it played out really well with everything that's been going on from a regulatory perspective. You know, cryptocurrencies have kind of boomed. So there's been a lot of interest from that space. Oil markets were kind of down for a while and now they've come back in. So there's been a lot of interest there. So it's been a function of the market. It's been a function of our team. It's been a function of the expansion of the team. We've got a lot more people on board now. So it's, it's a lot of different factors, but mostly sometimes, you know, it's an idea that it's time has come and it's one of those ideas. Wow. That's so cool. Well, one last question I had, and, and this is kind of another branch to, to what you guys are doing. After looking at your website, I noticed there is an influencer tab. Can you speak on that? Because there's a lot of, you know, I would say, you know, influencers in energy. And so I'm sure if anyone's interested in that, there's obviously opportunity there. Can you touch on it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So first of all, we have a very simple share program built in the platform. So if you want to refer somebody to the platform, when they purchase the access tokens, we basically give you a reward, similar to what Uber, Amazon, all the companies do, right? You refer somebody, you can get a little reward. But in addition to that, if you're somebody who has, who has a significant network and you believe that because of the way you can influence the market, because of the audience you have, you can bring this to the masses in a big way. We can approve you as an official influencer, which will allow you to actually track across six degrees of separation what is happening in the network. So all the people in your network, when they come in, you can actually get a reward on the total net impact you're having on the environment. So we'll actually show you, because you started you're influencing the masses to come in and join the platform, this is how much oil has been produced. This is how much carbon has been offset. This is how much energy has been offset. And because of that, here are some rewards that we can give you. So influencers can get access to additional rewards that we kind of set aside. Instead of spending it that on traditional marketing or you know, paying tens of thousands of dollars for articles to be published, we instead find that to be a much more effective way to communicate to the right audience and also share those rewards instead of to a traditional marketing budget. Hmm. Wow. Hey, I know. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people interested in that. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> We've again, gotten a lot of interest. Yeah, I bet. Well, no, that's fascinating. I think it's some, it was something worthwhile bringing up. Well, you know, it's coming close to the top of the hour, and I certainly want to respect your time. So I'd like to close out by asking some questions that kind of revolve more around you on the personal level. But 
you know, with how busy you've been and I'm sure it's nonstop, somehow you don't drink caffeine. So you must just naturally have a lot of energy, but what's something about yourself, any daily routines or habits that contribute to your success and whether that's, you know, some dedicated time in the morning or evenings, did you do anything on a, on a daily basis that is a must have or a must do to kind of keep you focused and, and mentally charged up to keep, you know, moving ahead? Yes and no. So there are a couple of things that I do, but I think it's just personal things that don't necessarily relate directly to success. I think for me to tell other people, hey, you should do this quote unquote ritual in your personal life because you'll have success. I don't think that it works quite that way. For me, the primary reason why I think I have been able to do what I've done in, in multiple industries is because we have a very clear goal. So we set out defining a clear goal. We know what it is that we're trying to accomplish and why we're trying to accomplish it. And it just makes it much easier for you to push through the extra hours when you need to. So if I'm up at four in the morning, I know why I'm up. I know what we're trying to accomplish and I know where that's going to go. And I think it's really helped because, you know, I have three kids. It's really helped for me to keep that in perspective. Okay, what am I doing that's going to make the world better for them? It's not a conscious thought. It's not something that I'm constantly going, oh, you know, I'm eating this food. Is it going to make the world better for them? Obviously not. You know, I'm not thinking that way. But that's certainly been a big push. I think if you have on a personal level, somebody that you want to make life better for, and then you have kind of a bigger picture in your mind, a vision behind how you want to make things better overall, I think that really goes a long way towards helping you push through that. Mm, I like that. I think it's very practical and it's real. So I can appreciate that. And honestly, I would say get, get amazing team members, get wonderful business partners and team members to work with. And that goes a long way. That's probably the most important thing. Yeah. Surround yourself with people that are hopefully better than you. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. One last question then. What's something about yourself that not many people know about? I mean, do you have any hidden hobbies or things that you like to do outside of, you know, working and obviously being a busy father most days? Anything come to mind? I enjoyed playing racquetball quite a bit. Ah, okay. There you go. That's one thing. But again, it's one of those things that I would like to do a bit more of, but I haven't had the chance to do just because things have been as busy as they have. I know, but don't, you know, you, you can't give up the life's simplest pleasures like playing racquetball and, you know, doing the things that you enjoy doing. That's extremely important. Yep. Yeah. I would say definitely just working out in racquetball is probably the thing that I enjoyed the most. It but other great. than that, you know, engaging in really good conversations like this one. Yes. And I think that's, that's pretty much all that I do at the moment. Good. Hey, and that, that's enough. I'm sure it keeps you busy. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. And before we log off here, I do want to take a moment to tell everyone about some upcoming OGGN events. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for July 2021. This month, we have five events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're always interested in staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting our monthly happy hour at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on July 29th. Our June happy hour was a hit, so if you weren't there for the June one, we hope to see you there this month at our July happy hour. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts and network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. Don't forget that it's on July 29th. Other than OGGN's events, we have two in-person and two online events. First up, we have our two in-person events. 
the first one being the Doug Permian and Eagle Ford Conference at the Fort Worth Convention Center from July 12th to July 14th. And the next in-person event is the SPE International Data Science Convention at the Norris Convention Center in Houston, Texas on July 8th. Next, we have our two online events. The first being a Cognite webinar titled, From Buzzwords to Boardrooms, What Energy Leaders Really Think About the Transition Towards True Sustainability. And that's on July 8th from 11.30 to 12.30. And lastly, we have the US Africa Energy Forum, which is online on July 12th. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for July. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Great. Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing Wolfram hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old-timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. Hitesh, this has been such an interesting and exciting conversation. I hope a lot of people can appreciate it as well and take action. What's the best way for people to reach out or to get to know more about the company? So they should go to solaroil.io, which is our website. All the information is on there. Q&A is on there. If they want to reach out to somebody, they can do so on the website. I highly recommend everybody to just create a free account, take a look around, you know, see if this is something that appeals to you in the way we are going about it. And if you want to join the platform officially, you know, purchase the amount of tokens that makes sense for you or, you know, send in more questions in the back office and we're very happy to answer whatever we can. Awesome. Well, we certainly appreciate it. And I'll definitely be joining it. I actually was able to log in and, and create an account. So I've already done so, and I'm excited to take a browse around and, and hopefully share the good story. And with that, everybody, always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com. <laughs>